This is the Paul Goff audio experience. Whether you call yourself a PT, a physical therapist, or a physiotherapist, and wherever you are listening to this right now, this is for you. It is me revealing everything I can to help make you a more successful business owner. Thanks for listening. It means the absolute world to me. So I finished off yesterday with a, a story which was a true story of how patients ultimately make decisions and how it, it can take three months, four months, five months for them to say yes to your services. And it's completely normal when they do that. And I also told you a story yesterday about how people will see something and naturally assume that it's negative, naturally assume that it's going to be harmful, naturally assume that it's going to take them to a place that they don't necessarily want to go. And then I told you a story about a client of mine who watched a video, did nothing. Three days later, watched another video, did nothing. A week later, watched a video, did nothing. So a guy comes up to me last night who's currently sat in this room, and he said, you'll never guess how I met Greg. I said, tell me. He said, I saw this video, or I saw this ad on Facebook, and it said sponsored. I thought, fake. So I ignored it. I said, then what did you do? He said, another one came up a few days later, and then what did you do? Nothing. Then what did you do? Well, then this video come along, and I started watching this video, and anyway, I watched more of his videos, and then anyway, I joined his program. Austin? Everything that's happening in life is happening to you and is happening to your patients. The difference is most people can't step outside of it when it happens to them and think, oh, I wonder if my patient with back pain age 45, who's probably got less confidence than I am, who probably isn't as, look, we're unnormal, right? And one of the biggest decisions or one of the worst things that you can ever do in business is ever compare how you make a decision to how your patients make a decision. You're a freak. I'm a total freak. As the population goes today, the risks and the um, struggles and the challenges that you choose to take on as a business owner are not like what a guy or a girl that would probably accurately represent who your patient is would ever go through. And what you often find is as a business owner, we look at something and go, well, I don't like that or I wouldn't do that. If I look at my business as marketing and, and particularly our social, I look at Paul Goff Physio Rooms as social media from, from where I am today in Florida and I'm like, oh, it's terrific. And that usually is a good indication that I'm onto something. Because I'm not my perfect patient. It would not resonate with me in any way, shape, or form. But when you put out marketing or when you put out your social media, the first thing that you do, I'm just generalizing, the first thing that business owners do generally is, do I like that? And one of the complaints I get when I first start working with clinics is, I wouldn't opt in. I'm like, good, because we're not trying to reach somebody like you. So that's a big shift that you need to make. Summed up perfectly well with Austin's very um, quiet, private admission of how he, even with Greg, it was one of those, it, it kind of waited half an hour until we'd had a couple of beers, and he was like, you know that story that you told? I did it to Greg. Like everyone's doing it to everybody, so it doesn't surprise me. You're all doing it right now. Today there will be an ad on Facebook that you don't like. It will be irritating the shit out of you till you realize you've got the problem that it solves, and then you'll buy it in four weeks, and then they'll be your best friend. You'll be signed up to the VIP list, the package, getting stuffed through the post left, right, and center, and all of a sudden six weeks later, it's how the hell did this happen? That's what we do. 
So today, um, I'm going to talk about um, how to become effective. So Greg kind of had me speaking about systems, and, and I love systems. I really do love systems, but I think there's a lot more goes into it than just systems. If you ultimately want the benefit that systems give you, which in my opinion is to be effective. There are um, a lot of people busy. Who's busy right now in their life? Who just never, ever has time to do the stuff that they would really love to do? Hands up. Hands up, how many times have you treat a patient who, even though you know they're doing sod all and they've got really not going much on in their life, they're just always too busy to book that appointment or you know, come on that day that is perfect for them to come. There's always just kind of something in the way. Busy's a label that we give each other. And um, I used to joke about this in my office and it, it kind of was almost an irritation to where we got to today in the business. So there was a, a girl who I employed um, she came in for a few years while one of my staff was on maternity and she ended up staying for a little while while she finished her teaching degree. And every day I would go in, so I used to come in from my office or I'd come back off, off holiday or working or wherever I'd been, and I'd say, um, you know, how's it going, how's the day? You know, quality of the question determines the quality of the answer. It was a crap question, I get a crap answer. And she would always tell me she was busy. And for the first three or four months, I was like, mm, this is good, she's busy. And then I started actually looking at what she was doing. I'm like, she's doing fuck all. Like, and I turned the whole thing around, and in the end, I used to say to her, like, bees and ants are busy, but they ain't producing much at the other end of it. So if we're not careful, it can become, it can become a label that we stick with, and it's something that a lot of business owners do, stick by, I'm busy. Therefore, my um, day is justified, my decisions are justified, and my output is justified. And if I keep being busy, eventually I'll get to the point of being able to be where I want to be or get what I want to get. I work like this. It's more around results, um, not on volume of work. So where I'm looking all the time is for metrics and KPIs, and how do I know when I've done what I've done is going to give me the output that I want? How do I recognize it? Because if I need to work 18 hours a day, I'll work 18 hours a day. But if I can get away with working too, so I can spend the rest of it with Harry and Tobias, I'm gone. It really isn't more for more sake. We touched on it briefly yesterday around, you know, when I, you thought I was joking about when you've got your thing, you should go home. To give this context for you, really what should happen is what was the metric of success for this two days? How would you know that this event was successful for you? Because volume is dictated by, I've got tons of ideas. How many people have got tons of ideas? <laughs> who's got three key critical metrics that you will judge your success on of this weekend? How many? Hands up, serious. Good. Five people in a room of 80. Aaron, six. So this starts to kind of back up where we are and where we're going with this whole concept of busy's for busy's sake. It's what metric can we judge the outcome on? And when I fit the metric, get the hell out. Go home, do something else, have a celebration, have a party or whatever it will be. Because a lot of us, our days are governed by more work and more volume, which really isn't, isn't a good place to be. So I'm pretty big on this one right now. So again, remember, this is all wrapped up under the blanket of effectiveness. One of the problems that we have is, is just as human beings, not even as business owners and patients, I'm gonna bring this into their world. We do not know how to ask good questions. We ca the reason that so many people struggle and so many people have so many problems is they cannot A, recognize the problem, 
and then they can't ask their way out of the problem. So let me take this back to school. One of the reasons I believe, just my theory, as to why we are so bad at asking questions. Go back to school, you're 10 year old and you're in your history lesson and at the end of the lesson the teacher says, anyone got any questions? It's three o'clock, the bus is outside, the weather's good and the bell's just gone. Is that when she asks you or he asks you, do you have any questions? Yes or no? So what do we do at 10? Do we want to stay and you know, find out a little bit more about Henry VIII and the ice caps or whatever else that we're kind of learning on? Or do we want to get out of the door at 10 and get to the field and play some baseball or soccer or whatever it is that we play? So really, a habit got enforced, right? This is just my theory again, but I believe that if a teacher, when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 year old, had said to me at the end of history, math, science, geography, whatever, what question have you got for me? And you're not leaving today until you ask me one. The world would be a completely different place. Have you got any questions? Nope. What question have you got for me? See the difference? So let me take this into patience world. How many of you have ever said those words? What question have you got for me? How many have said any questions? I guarantee 99 out of 100 today are any questions. Every single medical provider that I've ever witnessed, is, I've never had anybody say, what questions have you got for me? It's any questions. Any questions? Nope. Let me go. And then when we, we wonder two days later, three days later, why they drop off, why they don't want to pay the fees, why they come in frustrated that they didn't understand, even though you explained it, even though you asked them, do you have any questions? They don't know how to ask questions. So the better that you get at understanding what questions to ask, A, you'll get better as a performer for yourself, and B, you'll get better at, remember my story yesterday when the guy asked me, will I speak up? The quality of the question determined the quality of the, of the outcome. Now, luckily, I understood what he meant, so I hit back with, do you want me to speak up or do you want me to speak more clearly? We got a successful outcome because I was able to open my mouth a little more and speak more clearly, knowing that he was probably meaning he couldn't understand my accent at first. So quality of questions determines the quality of the answer uh, that you get. So let me give you some examples of quality questions for business. Um, what is expected of me rather than the tools and the techniques? So today and every day, everybody's talked to me about Facebook. How can I get the best out of Facebook? How can I get the best out of Instagram? How can I get this Facebook ad passed? What do I have to do to get this newspaper ad to work? And a lot of the times, the questions that we should be asking is, what do I have to do to make this work? So rather than passing the blame to the tool or to the technique, it's what's expected of me today, which is a completely different question. This is, this is the moment, and again, I, I say this a lot, anybody who's been on my calls, sometimes I go, I'm about to tell you something that you might not understand the value of because it's not boxed and it's not in a gold wrap and it's not got a bow on it and it doesn't say like present. This question here right now, what is the minimum needed to resolve the problem to get this started is the question that I, it's the best phrase I've given you. If you like any of my stuff, this is it. Who did I speak to this morning? I was sat having a coffee with a couple of guys this morning. It wasn't just Jack, there was a few people come over. And the theme was this, I'm just overwhelmed right now, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to start, I know I need to go somewhere and I know I wanna do something big and I know that this thing looks good and my future could be good, but I just don't know where to start. My response, Facebook started with one email. 
Instagram started with one picture. YouTube started with one video. The problem that you've got right now is you're looking at potentially Greg or Aaron or even myself, very humbly I say that, and you look at our practices and you think, wow, four clinics, 20 staff, all this legislation, all this whatever's going on inside of our businesses, when really my question back to the guys this morning, what's your definition of a practice? What is it? There's no written rhyme or rule that says it has to be a certain square footage with a certain number of staff or a certain number of patients. For me, a private practice started with a room that I rented in a sports center, a $2 bottle of massage oil, and a portable bed that I bought off Amazon, stuffed into the back of my car. I had a practice. So I was able to correct in players as I grew the business. So there was no, um, when I, what's the phrase? When I, when I get this, then I'll get that. Ever used that one? Oh, well, when, you know, when I, when I get uh, the, the, the pay rise, then I'll buy the house. Or when we get this, then we'll get married or have the kids. Or when we get whatever. And everything is um, anchored, if you like, against something else. And it happens, and I can see it happening in this room if you're not careful. Everything will be anchored against when the perfect storm collides, then I'll start my business. What's, what is a business? What's the, what is the purpose of the business? It's to give you revenue at, at a financial level, but at, at an emotional level, at an achievement level, um, it's designed to give you that feeling of accomplishment, potentially. So what could be a better question is, what has to happen to give me that feeling? What has to happen to give me the feeling of being a business owner? Which is what? How many patients? If Facebook can start, the biggest company on earth can start with one email. You can start with one patient. You can start with one bottle of massage oil. And whether this is in marketing, whether this is in staff, this is the question I ask myself every, with everything. I have a few questions I ask every day. A, could I live without the staff that I've got today? And would I be in any way, shape, or form disappointed if any one of my members of staff did not show up today? If the answer is no, there's a firing on the cards. But it starts to get me into a shape of mind of being more effective. Can I live with less? And what do I have to do? What's the minimum amount required today to get my Facebook ads up and running? What's the minimum amount required to get the newspaper ad out? What's the minimum amount that I can do? Which is completely contradictory to the world's polyperfect, everything must be right and all of the dots and all of the stars must line up. Bullshit, complete and crap. There's a girl in my office who came, um, Jerry will tell you, Amy, she's the best, I love it a bit. One of the things we've always collided with and, uh, and one of the issues that we had when she came in, she was, I'm a perfectionist. I was like, well, you're gonna have to get rid of that because we're not gonna get on. Because there's an ego attached to that. There's a label attached to that. There's all sorts of insecurities attached to being a perfectionist. Perfectionists usually get nothing finished because they're fearful of criticism of the end result. So they hide behind, well, I can't get the blog out because it needs to be perfect. Can't send the blog out because it's got three spelling mistakes. How many of you get my emails? <laughs> How many spelling mistakes are in my emails? Couldn't give a flying <laughs> shit. In any way, shape, or form, do I care one bit whether there's three? Don't get me wrong. If there's 10 and I'm seeing them, they're gone, right? I'm cutting it down to eight. But it does, it, does it mean that I can't spell? Or does it just mean that I'm doing the minimum required to have the change that I want 
and possibly even looking at it going, if you really care about like uh, an obvious right hand went onto the E instead of the A, which we all do all day every day, and you're judging me on that, do I want to speak to you? Of course not. So again, because I'm comfortable with that and I understand all of that, that's why I put out a blog with speller mistakes or an email with speller mistakes. I'm comfortable as hell with it because I understand, I understand what's going on. So that I think sums up today and, and hopefully for the weekend for every single one of you, you, all of the options you've got and all of the ideas, ask yourself this on the flight back. What's the minimum amount required for me to get this project started? And just get going. Great question. So a lot of people come to me and say, Paul, I can't make this work. So my staff will always come in, Paul, we can't do this. I go, okay, what has to happen to make it work? Most people wake up, right? Why am I so stupid? Why can't I make this work? This is the subconscious thought that's going in. Yes, I know. Why do I always screw up? Why, do I, why can I never get this Facebook ad? Why can I never get this going? Why do I always mess up? And your brain is bloody good, isn't it? Because you're stupid, because you're dumb, because you didn't do your research, because you slept in, because you got drunk, because you do whatever. Whatever question you ask, it will give you the answer. So the better question to ask is, what has to happen? I did a mastermind event a few weeks back in England with a guy who came in with every intention of canning a marketing campaign that was delivering around about 20 grand a month to a huge chiropractic clinic. And they were like, it, it just takes too much work. So we're, we're gonna can it, so we're here to learn something else. So everybody went around the room and gave them all their ideas and it was all wonderful and it got to me. I said, okay, well, what has to happen to make it work? And, and they went, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what figure does it need to look like for it to be worth the output that you've got to put in to get it? And he went, well, we've never really thought of that. I was like, should we spend an hour on this? Because before you can quarter of a million dollars worth of like patients coming into your business, should we have a conversation for at least half an hour about maybe would it be worthwhile the out because everything has a price? Yes or no? So right now it's 20K a month. So what if we got this to 25? Would it be worth it? Yes, it would. Okay, good. Let's start from there. Let's start looking at the nuances of this marketing campaign. How many more patients do we have to get? What price do we have to charge? And how many visits do they have to come for? Let's do those math. And very quickly, we got it to 30K like that. Not only did it become viable, it became even more profitable. And all I did was change the question. Theirs was, what else can we do? Mine was, what has to happen? Mine took 30 minutes. His would have took a year. And come with all sorts of challenges, obstacles, learning processes, complete new marketing campaigns, staff that would have pushed back, et cetera, et cetera. So quality questions change everything. How would we know if this was a success? How would we know if this weekend was a success? Anybody thought of that? How would you know if your marketing campaign was a success? How would you know if this hire was a success? Beautiful question. How would you know if you hired the right person anyway? You'd set the goals, you'd set the key metrics. So a lot of people would be like, oh, she's just great. She takes so much work off my, my shoulders or, you know, she's just wonderful and I love her and she's the best thing that's ever come on. Well, of course it is, because right now she's, you've abdicated a load of crap to her and your life feels pretty easy. But how do we know that she was a successful hire? And this is my most favorite question ever in business. What problem do I want? So we're all all day, you know, schooled by all the positivity and the crap that goes on and, you know, 
live a pro- hassle-free life and a problem-free life and all this stuff? The best question, which one do I want? Because I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. And ultimately, what should happen as your business grows, the quality of the problems gets better. Warren Buffett has money problems, just different to you or I. Give you an example of money of, of problems in a business, right? Two stories. So client in he comes on a call with me and um, we'd been working together for about three months. We'd been doing all these Facebook ads and um, running these sort of branded content campaigns to all his past patients. And anyways, numbers were up by about 38%. So he told me that in about 30 seconds and he spent 15 minutes telling me how one of his physios had quit and another physio had just handed his notice in and he's getting pushed back off his staff and blah, blah, blah. And given that he'd spent 30 seconds on the, he's, he's better off, he's more success, he's richer, he's got more money coming into the bank, he's wealthy, he's got more profit, whatever. He spent 15 minutes on the, on the patients. And then, it, oh, sorry, on the staff. And at the end of it, he said, um, well, I just don't know if this is going to work. I said, you are? He said, I, I just don't know if this is going to work. I said, can I just remind you of the first 30 seconds of the call? Like, you're a six-clinic practice and your business is up in however long, in however many months, by however many percent, however many thousands of dollars. Which problem do you want? Because when you started with me 90 days ago, you had no profit. Now you have the inevitable of success, which is a completely new game going on in your business and staff members who don't know how to play that game and who do not want to play that game. In business, what I find is when you change the rules in play, it's much like me if I was to take over, let's say, the Miami Dolphins, okay? And I don't know who the coach is, but he plays a defensive game. I want to play offensive. I'm probably going to need six new players because the guys that he's got, although they are good, I don't play offensive. My tactics, or I don't play defensive because my tactics are defensive. Now, does that mean that I'm a bad coach, manager, or boss if I need to get six people off the team? Not at all. And the same thing goes on in business. Much of what I see going on in business is the wrong selection of the problem. Another example, a client in um, Jerry will, will probably know who she is straight away. <laughs> so we started talking about what she needs to do and I'm pretty brutal around prices and she's at like 135. I'm like, we gotta get to 195, like that's it. We're not even doing an intric- uh, uh, interval, $5 here. We're just going straight for the jugular. Like we're going at 195 and we're going to deal with the pain pretty quickly because there will be some pushback, but not enough to justify not doing it. She says, oh, I'm not really bothered about that and then what the patients say. I'm like, well, what the fuck's the problem? Like, we've got the solution. You're not bothered about the push pushback from patients. She's like, well, it's the girl on the front desk. So I said, tell me more. She said, you know, every time we have to get you know, like these price rises through, it's just so much hassle and so much pushback. And we just like, you know, I just don't know how to get her on board. So she started to talk to me about justifying it, right? She was like, should I show her the, the P&L and the expenses and explain to her that rates have gone up and all this? I'm like, no, like, what's the problem here? So now what's the real problem? Is it the staff? Is it the price or is it her? It's the business owner. The business owner has a problem justifying the fact that she's going to be profitable to herself. So my solution, I said, what we have to do, we have to walk up to the front desk girl, the girl in question who does not want you to be rich and tell her the next time she asks why we're raising prices, it's because you want to buy a big, beautiful yacht. (laughs) 
and you walk off. <laughs> I'm serious, by the way. I'm, uh, on my kid's life, this happened last Wednesday. I said, this is what you do. Let's get the problem out of the way. Let's, just, let's tackle the white elephant head on. If she does not want you to be rich, let's find out. And if she has any pushback at that, let's deal with that. She needs to go anywhere. The lady needs to go whoever's on the front desk. It's not even for debate. But again, my question went back to, well, which problem do you want? Do you want your money problem solved right now? And you will inherit a staff issue. But which one, which one do you want? Because one's going to be more painful than the other. One will last 20 years and be painful and frustrating on the first or the 30th of every month when you check your bank balance. And it will irritate the crap out of you that your business is performing at less than what it should be and what it could be. Or we can have an uncomfortable conversation with a front desk person who does not want you to have a yacht. So then she said, I'm all in on you all having a yacht, by the way. I think it's great. Then I said, no, then she said, she said, oh, well, can we compromise? And she said, can I raise the rates on the Pilates class? I said, well, that'll probably get you a dinghy. <laughs> but I'm, I'm much more in favor of you having a yacht. So anyway, this only happened last week, and um, I don't know the results of it yet, but ultimately the problem is the girl on the front desk, and then a little bit of the internal um, self-worth problem. It's a self-worth problem. It's a, it's, it presented itself as a financial monetary problem in a business, I asked a second question, it presented itself as a staff member problem, and it's really a self-worth problem. So it's like, well, which one do you want? Which one are you gonna live with? That, again, determines the quality of the outcome that she's gonna get. So the most effective business owners, they make the best decisions. Um, and there's a lot of talk about whether or not it's speed to decision, um, and I, I, I'm kind of in favor of both, and I, I'm not a fan of, of you know, taking forever to make a decision, but equally I'm not a fan of making a, rec a reckless decision. I was watching and reading something about Warren Buffett lately. I've kind of been studying a lot of what he, um, what he talks about. And one of his great quotes that I heard was, the reason that people lose money on the stock market is quite simply because they've got money. That's sinking. So the reason that most people lose money on the stock market is quite simply because they have money to spend on the stock market. <laughs> That's it. It's genius. It's just like, like, there's a reason these guys are billionaires. And if you really understand that and what that means for business owners, it's kind of like, yeah, I've, you know, I've cashed out or I sold my home and I've got 150K, right. You know, let's get the, let's get the, the paper out today and find out where the best stock is and let's stick like 150K on this stock because I've got a burning wad of cash to spend. And that is kind of concept of how would you know, or I think that is the challenge this year, he did a 10 year challenge, didn't he, with a load of hedge fund guys who basically said, he said, give me a, a hundred grand of your money and I, I'll put it into a slow burning, low risk, let this thing play out over 10 years and I'll beat you. And all these hedge fund managers were kind of like, no, no, we're going to invest it, we're going to do the other and blah, blah, blah. And there's been one year in 10 where he hasn't won and he's done nothing except stuck it into low cost index trackers, I believe. So the moral of that story is kind of while everybody's like, yeah, you know, kind of get on and make fast decisions, which I'm kind of, I'm kind of in on, there is also a slow and steady wins the race. The problem will be is when you're stifled by the decision that you need to make. And there is a difference between um, making a decision and deciding. Because the deciding phase can take months, can take years. 
But the actual decision, as Tony Robbins will always say, it's like less than a second to actually make a decision. And ultimately, when you realize what a decision is, it's a 50-50 call. You've got just as much chance of getting it right as you get it wrong. Now, ultimately, you can stack the deck in your favor by asking the right questions, doing your research, doing your diligence, and always asking yourself, what's the worst case scenario? That's all I ever do. If the, if the deck comes down, can I live with it? Yes. I have zero ego. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm the most like non-emotional, chemical-ridden, whatever. Like I just do not care. If it goes wrong, good, I'm good. As long as the kids are not affected, I'm not going to lose the house. I'm never risking that. But I'm not, risk, I'm not bothered about getting a decision wrong for fear of what you think of me. I just couldn't, I couldn't even remotely care. So what I'm putting there to a lot of business owners is we are so hindered by the decisions that we make, not, not because of anything that's devious or big or grand, it's just we're often so worried about getting the decision wrong and then what somebody will think of us. And really, it's just a 50-50 call. One guy makes one decision one day, one guy makes another one the day after, and life's gone different paths. Does it make them better or worse? No, it just means that one guy made a better decision on that day. So when you strip it down to that, it becomes easier for you to make a decision, hopefully. Here's a big thing. Achievement depends less upon ability than on the courage to go after an opportunity. I live in this world. So I've never been the most technically gifted at anything that I ever do. Um, I work quite hard, and I, I certainly have a brother and sister who are infinitely more clever than me, but I'll outwork them at, at, any, given, at any given point to kind of get to get what I want. My achievement, if you like, and I'm only going to be able to reference it from my point of view, comes from, um, from courage. There's no doubt. Like, there's just no doubt that um, as the world gets more around qualifications and skills and everything we spoke about yesterday, I believe it's courage. People will often say to me, and, and my mother, even my sister, or friends, families, uncles, um, oh, you, you know, Al Paul, you're fearless. I'm like, what? You, you got, you got, are you mad? Like, what do you mean I'm fearless? Like, how can I be courageous if I never had fear in the first place? All that happens is you learn to live with it. As I set out on this journey to do this today, to, to be at this point, which I always dreamt of, and I, and I did, to be able to speak in front of people. I remember getting on a plane after Harry was four weeks old. This is a true story. I was heading from where I live in Hartlepool to London to catch a flight out, of Chicago, out to Chicago. I actually missed the train um, from the first station. Random story, why, but I did. And I was like, do I need to go? Because I really don't want to do this. I really do not want to leave my four-week-old son and fly all the way to Chicago to go to a conference with nobody that I know. I don't even know why I'm going and how the hell I ended up booking a ticket for this conference in Chicago, but I did. I got on the flight, and I remember being sat on the runway at one point, and I, and I have suffered from panic attacks before with my chest, as it turned out, but it was pre this, and then, oh, sorry, post this, and it was fine. But I remember being sat on the plane thinking, like, if I could get these doors open now, I'd get off. Like, I just did not want to go on the flight. I had no understanding of why I was going, nothing. I couldn't see this. I kind of could dream of it, but I didn't and couldn't really understand or even justify to myself why I was going, why I was spending four or five grand on a flight, leaving the country, heading out to Chicago, losing four or five days with my kids uh, at a four, you know, at such a crucial time. And really, as I look back, it was the courage to get through all of those decisions that probably got me to this point today. Was it because of ability? No, because ability didn't exist then. The courage put me in a position to learn, to start to pick up the ability. Does that make sense? So again, as business owners today, we're all kind of waiting for the logic and for the skill and for the ability to come along. And ultimately what we need is often the courage to get the other side of it, back to yesterday's talk about the fear and see beyond it. Now, sometimes we can't see. 
People, I think a couple of people asked me this morning, it might have been Jack, did I, could I see this? Like, did I expect to be doing this? You've got to be joking. Like, there's no way my brain could see this, or even in my wildest dreams could I picture the life that I'm living today. And it's only because of the courage to get across each decision every single time that we did. That put me in a position to hopefully get the ability to speak. Greg Todd said to me today, is Greg in the room? Greg said, God, the difference between you last year when you were speaking and you now is just immense. And it was almost painful. And I remember the, the talk that I gave in Orlando about 15 months ago, looking back, it was like, God, it was awful, dreadful. But you have to have the courage to put yourself in that position to learn. You can probably see this mic. See this here? This will get listened to tonight. I will sit down and somebody stopped me yesterday and they said, what are you doing? I'm listening to my talk from yesterday. And I'm analyzing, did I speak clearly? Did I say what I wanted to say? Did my interpretation of what I wanted to come out of my mouth come out the way that I wanted it to so that I can improve for every single time? But it's having the courage to press play and literally go, oh my God, that's horrendous. Because I do that still. Like, when I, you've seen my YouTube videos. Don't think for one second I'm watching them. It's like, they come up on my newsfeed and it's like, I ain't watching myself. I don't really want to do it. But occasionally, I kind of have to, you know, in a quiet room when everyone's gone to bed, I'm like, oh shit, I better press play just to see what this comes across like. But that's only so I can learn and improve so that the next time that I do it, it comes out better for you guys. So the courage is probably more important than your ability, massively um, underestimated. And you're gonna be in so many situations as you build your own business that you will think and the, the irrationality that you will validate away from a decision will be, I don't have the skill. I want you to ask yourself, I wonder if you don't have the courage. Courage, decision. So it's more productive to convert an opportunity into results than to solve a problem which only restores the equilibrium. Every single business today is living this lie. All they're doing all day long is fighting fires. So when they see a problem, it has to be solved, it has to be solved today, it has to be solved like yesterday, and I cannot sleep, I cannot rest, and I'm uncomfortable as hell until that problem is solved. When I introduced lead generation marketing to my business four years ago, Vicky is still with me, I'm sure you've all heard her on the podcast, she's like, again, I've been blessed with so many souls, but I wonder if what you put out, the energy and et cetera, kind of attracts those people to you, I kind of firmly believe it does. Vicky, um, Vicky kind of held the ship together for me when I came along with this bright idea after this conference in Chicago. Um, I came home and I was like, I've got this unbelievable thing. You should see this system I've got. I'm going to do this. I'm going to run Facebook ads, Google ads. I'm going to put landing pages up, videos, email marketing, telephone calls out, remarketing, tagging, the lot. And I want it done next week. And it literally happened within weeks. We were running newspaper ads. We were running forces. It was like the phone went from ringing like five times a day to like 25 times a day. The business was about to implode. I was spending money on marketing, getting leads, coming through the door. And I was like, shit, I do not have the staff for this. So I was like, Vicky, this is what I want to do. Are you with me or not? This is going to be chaos for three to six months. And I'm going to have to live with a business that will be less productive at one part in pursuit of something big at the other. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, look, I don't really want to shell out 40, 50 grand or whatever, you know, in, in dollars equivalent for an admin person to come in and, and deal with what I'm inevitably going to take you away from while we figure out this lead generation stuff. Are you with me? So we had this business that was running smoothly. Incoming phone calls, people booking appointments with us because of word of mouth or whatever. I kind of came along and went, let's get the phone ringing with people who want free information. 
free reports, I want to come to workshops or whatever it would be, real marketing. The, it exploded and we didn't even have like a day to get ready for it. So I'm like, Vicky, I have not got the time to hire. I, I don't have the money to hire right now. Will you just play a game with me? We're going to have to accept that over here on front desk where our customer service has been 10 out of 10, the culture, the core values, the love, the time, the care and everything else that we've, and I, by the way, have like hammered into you for the last five years. I'm now basically saying that's going to drop. Will you come over here with me and just figure this out for three to six months? Because I think if we can crack it, it's probably the biggest area of opportunity that I've ever had in business. So kind of what I'm saying with that, that would be very easy for me to go over here and go, well, now we've got problems over here. Well, we have. Which problem do I want? Am I happy to live over here with some discomfort for three to six months? Yes. Knowing that I can go back to it tomorrow if I want and put all my effort and energy and attention into this lead generation system that I've since created for the business, which has given us pretty much free reign to do what we want. Whereas I think with most business owners, it would be like, let's go over here for a day. Oh, but shit, like we had a bit of a complaint over here or the staff are now not happy, whatever. And then you kind of go back over here and you're fighting the fire when the area of opportunity is over here. Make sense? I've done it with staff. I've made the decision to fire staff in February and not got rid of them till September. Numerous times. Last two, two years ago, I got rid of three people in one day. It was like September the 13th. It was like the end of the world in my office that day. But I'd made the decision to get rid of them in the March or, or the April or whatever it would be. And Vicky's like, they're going to have to go. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. The problem we've got is we're rolling into summer. And I don't know if you've noticed, but you've all got kids. And I'm pretty sure you're all going to want the summer off. Two weeks here, two weeks there, whatever it will be. I looked and did the math and predicted it all in the future that we would probably have no staff and never be able to train on time or on point that level. So again, it was, which problem do I want? Three members of staff who were pretty... You know, it was more of a culture fit than anything, and it was a bit bitchy and a bit backstabby and whatever. Can I live with that? Yeah. But if I get rid of them and I go in all guns blazing with my ego, because that's what business owners can do, it's like, I'm the boss and whatever, it's like, okay, I'm good with it. I'll accept a little bit of downside for a huge chunk of the upside further down the line. September the 10th came, or whatever day it was, all the school holidays had finished, three gone. All three replacements had been lined up through the summer. September the 11th, everybody turned up and started work the next day. So again, it was, what do I want to do? Keep fighting the fires? Because all, all I'm going to do is rebalance the equilibrium. Um, it's kind of happening now, by the way, again. In, so I'm here, and the obvious question is, and this happens to me all the time, well, is the Paul Goff Physio Rooms as busy or as productive or as successful while you're in the US? Of course it fucking isn't. There's no way it, it, it's as profitable or as successful as if I was there all day, every day. But here's my rationale. So... While I'm not there, let's say it drops by 20%. Can I live with that? Yes. But does that matter when me, because I'm the entity at the end of the day, and you're the entity, you're the business owner, when I'm here in the US creating a second business that's infinitely more bigger, scalable, and profitable and gives my family an opportunity to a lifetime or a lifestyle that people in Britain just do not get. So if I'm losing 20% here, but I'm putting 100% up here, am I winning? Yeah. Again, it's just getting comfortable with that, and that's contradictory to what most people will tell you. It's like everything has to be perfect. You have to fight the fight. You don't have to fight fighters all day. So which one do I want? Which problem? Yeah, I can have a very profitable and more successful Polgoff Physio Rooms, or I can have a pretty successful and pretty successful Polgoff Physio Rooms, a pretty successful business in the US, and a nice house in California for my family, and a swimming pool for my son to play in when he gets in from school, which people in Britain don't get. That type of thing. It's like, 
I'm going after something. So I'm accepting a small chunk of downside for a big chunk of up. So don't get too focused on the problems. And really, um, I've often joked that my physio business was built on a beach. I mean it. Um, I shouldn't joke about it because it's the truth. I basically spent so much time in places like India, Bali, Sri Lanka, Australia, wherever, obsessing over books and just thinking, factoring time to think, this wonderful thing called thinking that not many of us do. A business coach of mine says the most important part of his schedule is the time that he puts in on his Gmail that just says, think, for one hour. How many people do it? Mike, two, Will. Two people in a room who have it on their calendar, think, do it. My thinking time was happening on beaches, on airplanes, 35,000 miles in the sky on the way to Just could walk away from the business, could see it completely different, come back with a fresh perspective. Most businesses owners can't do that because they're stuck inside of the business. They're stuck fighting fires of yesterday to balance the equilibrium. The success that you want will probably be found in a random situation at a random time where your brain interpreted something differently, a chance conversation, a chance book, a chance sign, a chance marketing campaign that you saw in New York or wherever it will be, that because you were in a different position, your brain was able to interpret it. A chance walking past a gym that does something or offers something that you didn't think and all of a sudden because now you can see it and you're starting to think, hmm, I wonder if I can take that back to my business. Business growth happens outside, problems get solved in. Most business owners spend 51 weeks of the year in. That's why their businesses do not grow. So the keys to find leverage. Um, two things you can leverage. One is people and the other is systems. I'll talk to you through um, a couple of things that, that you can do to leverage people. One of the problems that you get as you look to, to hire, um, the classic phrase is, I need somebody or I found somebody or somebody knows somebody. Stop employing somebody. Start creating roles and responsibilities and find people with the skill sets to fit those roles. If you ever hear words come out of your mouth that says, I need somebody, you're about to lose in business. And it will be painful. You need a role. You need to identify a role. And to give that person the best possible shot of fulfilling that role, you need to identify what's required of that role first. Clearly define the responsibilities and what does success look like. So how would I know if this person was a successful hire? What are the key metrics? I just hired a guy in my company um, for this business to run the operation side of it, and it's like, how will I know that it's successful? Well, because he's gonna take 10 hours a week off me of calls that I shouldn't be doing. So within 100 days, we wanna get that down to five. Is he taking five lots of calls away from me that I don't need to do? That's the goal. All right, what has to happen? Well, I need to train him how to do strategy calls. I need to train him around the objectives. I need to train him of what? potential things will come up on the call. So that as we hit point 90 or 100 days, he's able to do five of those calls for me and two of them will lead to potential clients. That's how I know it will be a successful outcome. If we don't hit the metrics, he's not getting fired, I'm going back to retrain him. It's me, it's again, what do I have to do? What can I bring to this table? Rather than I've got somebody, my problems are solved and life's great after 48 hours, which is kind of what goes on. But then it's painful for five years when you realize you've got the wrong one. Um, here's another thing you could leverage, and I talked about this briefly with a couple of people. Within business, there's always points that you can leverage. So something like Medicare, I know there's a lot of cash-based practices here. I've um, had a lot of success with clients that I've pushed towards the Medicare cash model for leverage. Now, a lot of people will go, I don't like Medicare because it's painful and it's system and it's, they're a pain in the ass to deal with. I'm like, all right, well, good. 
what's more painful? Like no money at the end of the month or filling out some forms on a database or an EMR? Like there's hundreds of thousands of people getting it right. You just hear the people who don't. The leverage can kick in when you're a new startup, and I hope this helps a few people, is that the real reason that you charge $100 out the gate, which a lot of people will, is I'll just ease my way in. Like, screw that. Like, we need to go all in at 200 as fast as possible. And one of the ways that you can get there is with leverage through something like Medicare. The easiest, fastest possible way, or the easiest pocket of people to get into a business is usually that, that crowd, that age group, just a fact. Facebook, newspapers, set them up, all day long they'll come in. Now, you might go, well, they only, try, they only give me $110 or whatever you get. Good, I hear that. But what if having 10 of those people every single week brings $1,000 to my door, pays my rates, pays my rent, pays my student loan, pays whatever it is. All of a sudden, when I start to get those cash pay inquiries, I'm not selling from need anymore. It's $200, take it or leave it. And the confidence, the swagger, the authority, whatever it is that you get will come because of that leverage point. Now, once you get to that point of having 20 visits a week for cash for 200, you might want to go, I only want to see five Medicare or I want to come off completely. I don't care. It's leverage. This is how you have to start thinking in business. And it's not going to be forever. It might be a two-year thing. It might be a one-year thing. But if it gets you out the gate with more confidence and gives you a stepping stone, by the way, they are sneezes. They tell everybody. They bring friends. They bring family. They're influencers. If my grandma was coming to your clinic and I walked into my grandma's house, which I do once or twice a week, and I walk in with a bad back, and she tells me about this wonderful physio called Jerry who's around the corner. And she says, look, you know, he doesn't see Medicare, he only sees cash. I'm going to go because Rose wants me to go. Like, I'm not going to any other provider if my grandma's telling me to go to see Jerry. That's kind of just the way it works. They are the most um, trusting, the most loyal, the most ongoing opportunity for wellness, cash pay services on the back end of it. In that first year or two of business, I firmly believe that one or two, in fact, I've got couple of clients right now doing it and it's the best decision that they've made. So I'm just going to throw it out there that within your business at certain points, it doesn't even have to be Medicare. It, something and somewhere in your business is a leverage point. A client um, that I worked with last weekend, in we looked, and this is another example for a network, 7% of our business was cash. She's like, oh, well, I don't really need to listen to these you know, price rises conversations, and I don't really need to listen to price strategy because only 7% of my business is cash. I was like, okay, get the calculator out. Tell me, show me your numbers, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, what if we put $50 on your, um, on your cash pay rate? Because at the end of the day, it's only 7%. Therefore, we can afford to lose it if it's only 7%. So who gives a shit if they don't come in? Because in your words, it's not that important. If it's not that important to lose, why don't we play a game and see if we can risk something big? So let's stick $50 in every session and see what happens. Get the calculator back out, three grand a month net in her pocket to do what she wants. 35 grand a year pay rise, like that. This is business and leverage points within it. So re-leverage now from that. I'm, again, do what you want. Go buy a Ferrari, rent it, lease it, get the board, do whatever you want. Paul's leverage is let's stick three grand into marketing and or another asset, which is a member of staff, and see if I can get a bigger ROI on my 3K. And in a year, I look back at that and I go, hmm, you know that 7% that was just 7% cash is now all of a sudden responsible possibly for 100, 150K coming into my business. Different? Take nothing for granted in your business. It's there if you choose to look. So my systems. So we've got people in systems. 
marketing, everything that I do and everything I teach is built around a marketing or a nurture system. People will not categorically make decisions in a heartbeat over $500. I told you that yesterday. Anybody who wants to play that game, you will be in a world of hurt and more world of hurt as price rises for your services. People need time when it's over $100. You are so indoctrinated in the system of a patient coming to you from a doctor who spent two years, 18 months, 12 months, six months doing the YouTube thing, doing the Google thing, asking the questions, putting cream on it, buying Dr. Yours, Physio's back fucking support or whatever else gets sold on TV that, by the way, is your competition. Do not think that it isn't. Just because PTs get on their high horse and we're better than personal trainers and we're more qualified, don't give a shit. That's not how they see it. It's how they see it with everything. I remember being in California watching, um, and anybody in California might have seen it, there is literally a guy called Dr. Yours Physio. Every night he's on selling a back pain brace. $25.99, and if you buy one at the end of the show, or at the end of the, the thing, I'll send your friend one as well. Good, and I'm sat there giggling, going, I wonder how many people tomorrow, how many PTs are getting the old call that says, listen, I've decided to go elsewhere, because of Dr. Yo's $25.99 brace. Why, because he's promising an end to back pain. Keyword, pain. So are you, if your verbiage is not right. And let's go even lower. I could walk into Walmart, and I see a box of paracetamol on the shelf that says pain relief or back pain relief. Paracetamol, $12.99 or whatever it costs, $10.99. So now I've got a box of paracetamol offering pain relief for $10. You should visualize this. Every time you use pain, visualize yourself in Walgreens on a shelf. One of them, one pain relief option is $10. Dr. Yours Physio Back Pain Support is $25 and you want 175? Which is why it's so important, like I said yesterday, to change the verbiage and the narrative of what you do. Let everybody else sell relief from back pain. You offer solutions, highly specific ones to internal problems, like independence, preservation of self-worth, mobility, et cetera, et cetera. Getting in the CrossFit box, whatever. So the nurture system is important because that's the message I'm communicating all the way through. And in every email, if I'm in California, I'm going, hey, you may have seen on the TV that you can get Dr. Yo's physio back pain support for $25.99. Here's why you need to give it a miss. Here's what will happen to you if you take it, potentially. Here's the problem with back support, short-term relief. Da -da -da. That's what you want, good. But you'll be in and out of back pain for 20 years. My nurture system is loaded with emails like that. Destroying any other alternative option that that person could potentially be considering buying instead of my services. They've got my money. I've got their solution. We just need to agree a day and a time we will do an exchange. That's the mentality when it comes to the nurture systems. So system number two, welcome. Welcome to the clinic. Hey, let's play this game out. Let's put them into a form or a web form and Infusionsoft I use personally, I love it. Um, wouldn't live without it. Puts my staff can put people into web forms and kick off all sorts of videos and automation and stuff that Greg's has touched on and basically let you welcome somebody to the clinic and actually tackle objections and fears and challenges, even the ones they haven't expressed to you via email or video or whatever it is that you're uh, going to do so that when the person shows up, they are warm. I've sat in clinics all over America where people walk in and the first interaction that they have is some fucking glass door opens, some woman in a She's brilliant though, they're always brilliant. Some woman pulls the glass across with a clipboard and goes, there you go, have a seat. Closes the window and goes and sits back down. Watches, 
for 15 minutes while the same woman flicks over the page, goes back to page 12, 12 times because she doesn't have a clue what the hell she's filling out, watches the frustration and the dissonance build, watches the person get off the chair, woman has to tap back on the glass window, secretary opens the glass window and starts to ask, like, what the hell's all this? And in their world, that's customer service. But the girl's good. She's nice and polite and she says hello and she says thank you. And there's no coffee, there's no water, there's no nothing. There's no anticipation of problems. A welcome sequence allows you to solve all of those problems. The, the same things that you see every single day happening in every objection and every... Ch I can guarantee when you hand that form over, if a person gets stuck on page eight of a question, like it'll happen 10 times every day. It'll be the same question every day that they'll get stuck on when filling out an insurance form. Why don't we stick it in an email or on video and go, hey, when you arrive at the clinic, what we'll do is give you some forms. And you know, traditionally people get stuck on this question and this question. Here's the answer. Let's tackle it. You all know what's going on. So if we can use our welcome sequences, we can completely change the experience that they have with us. A win-back system. Any idea what that is? It is the thing that every single business should have in their business, period. So in the cash PT world, all right? How many cash PTs? Even in the in-network world, doesn't matter. Cash PT, all right, example. Patient comes on, has two sessions with you, pays 195, gives you a call and says, hey, uh, I was speaking to my uncle and my uncle says that I can get this for $50 if I use my network provisions or whatever. So I'm going around the corner. The first question is always, well, what do I need to do and how do I keep these people on, et cetera? I'm like, good, well, we can go through some tactics and some scripts and blah, blah, blah. But how about we just let the game play out? Because the first thing that you always tell me, and this is clients, is you're the best in the area and those big hospital systems are crappy and cold and lifeless and they don't get any care and they get like, you know, five PT, five clients per one PT in an hour or whatever, like billable units. Good, let's create a system that tells that story. Let's put them in an email chain or a series of phone calls or whatever that is automated, that is written on one Sunday afternoon instead of watching the NFL or having a beer. Let's make some money and do something that will like benefit you for 10 years. Put them in an email system that factors in that they will not get the outcome that they're looking for because five out of 10 don't. But you take for granted that just because they say they're going somewhere else, A, they actually do, and B, that they're getting the outcome. I have the humility to ring them back up in three weeks and go, hey, uh, Mrs. Smith, did you get the outcome that you were looking for? And it will, one in two go, um, well, um, uh, I, well I, I haven't got quite round to doing that yet, um, but you know, uh, well anyway, while you're here, oh well good, look, can we have a conversation about how we can get you back? What needs to happen, question, for you to be a patient of ours again? I did this with a client, true story, and this is Dean Volk, you can, you can check him out, he's in Carolina. I put this system into his business when he hired me, and um, when we started to play out within about two months, I said, oh, so how's the win-back system going? He said, Paul, if I'd have met you 10 years ago, I'd have had enough money now to buy a house and be retired in Charleston. True story. Because he was losing that many clients. People dropping off at eight sessions instead of having 11 or canceling and not getting back on. And he was just assuming that they were going to get their care. He was just assuming that they were getting the outcome from the provider that they said they would. Most of them don't even go anywhere else anyway because they forget. They put the phone down from you and the busyness of life gets in the way just like it does. Have you booked your flight yet? No, I'll do it tomorrow. Have you booked your PT yet? No, I'll do it tomorrow. Have you booked your PT yet? Six months later. No, I'll, I'll give them a call. This is what, this is what they do. So the win-back system, for me, is probably the easiest and most profitable system you'll ever put into any business. Period. So, 
Um, last one, and a drop-off system. That's the, again, classic, um, I hear it so many times where the, 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 the boss would be like, well, we always tell the PTs to make the call and you know, we tell them whenever it goes quiet, they've got to get back on the phone. Like, why? It's like human error. They're never going to do it. There's no incentive. They're telling you to do it. How can you manage it anyway and monitor it like you can't? So let's stick them in a funnel. Let's stick them in a system that starts to talk to them about why they've dropped off. First of all, ask for a pretty quick response. And instead of doing the old one, which everybody does, which is you owe us $58 because it was part of our no-show fee and we'll punish you like a naughty school kid, we say, hey, um, we were a little bit worried about you yesterday because we didn't think that somebody like you would just not show up, so we just wanted to ask. Have you been in an accident or something happened? Hit reply and let us know you're all right. Five out of 10 people will respond within about two minutes. At that point, your secretary rings them and gets them back on schedule. The quality of the content while everybody else is drilling them and saying you're disrespectful and you should have paid and rang and we're enforcing the fee or we might even let you off, I'm just going, have you been in an accident and we're all worried about you, can you hit reply? And they do. But if they don't, I'm setting up a system for a call in seven days. And I'm not going, Vicky, there's a piece of paper. It's, there's an email reminder to Vicky that says, Mrs. Smith dropped off, here's why we think she dropped off, here's how many uh, care plans she's got left or how many sessions in a care plan. Because if Vicky's busy on Monday, productive, person has only got one session left of a plan of care, am I asking Vicky to make a load of calls to that person when there's another person there who dropped off with eight sessions to go? Who's getting the call? the person who's got eight sessions to go. So again, these are the quality of the questions that we're passing over to the team. It's not just a drop-off. Patients are not created equal. Why did they drop off? I need a list on a form that says money, found another solution, going on vacation, time wasn't right, too much pain, not happy with the physio. So that when Vicky gets that, she's able to start that conversation from there. We get a completely different outcome because much like in my nurture system, when they enter it, we ask them, what's your number one concern? We don't talk about back pain. We say, what concerns you? Is it pills? Is it surgery? Is it not knowing what's wrong? Is it the fear of losing independence? And whatever you tell us, that's what we're going to speak about. So when we're ringing them up and going, hey, can we have that conversation about the pills that you're obviously addicted to right now because of the back pain? We get a very different outcome for everybody else ringing up going, can we book PT? See the difference? So the quality of the questions that you ask and the content that's loaded into the systems is the variable. I guarantee it. Everybody wants systems. It's the automated systems, the sexiest word on earth right now in business because every business owner is stressed a bit. But I could give you my funnels or the, the structure of my systems, but if the content isn't right, it will do nothing. Nothing at all. Content is the variable of success for everything that you do. This is the Paul Goff audio experience. Whether you call yourself a PT, a physical therapist, or a physiotherapist, and wherever you are listening to this right now, this is for you. It is me revealing everything I can to help make you a more successful business owner. Thanks for listening. It means the absolute world to me.